I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. A big weekend for postponements, ruined plans and board games as COVID-19 gets all too serious for those of us who enjoy football. Today, we attempt to address the impact the disease has had on the game so far, how we can get back on track and what happens to players. Plus, who's going to help smaller clubs? What about the businesses affected by a total lack of football and the weird reality of a weekend without any televised sport to watch? Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm joined by Matt Law. How are you, Matt? <laughs> what a weird question at the moment. It is How a strange question. How but are I, you feeling? Um, I'm all right. I'm all right. I was fairly relaxed about everything probably up until about a week ago. And then you just start to think, actually, this is all pretty serious. Yeah, now. yeah. It's getting it's getting pretty real. How about you, Mina Rizuki? What's going on? Um, I was all right until about Thursday when I went into my regular place of work and they were like, yes, we're going to cancel most shows uh, for a while. And I'm like, oh, no, as a freelance journalist, you're like starting to panic. Look, it's okay. I've got a few other stuff. Then every single league starts to suspend. And yeah, I'm all right. Let's just say I've overworked myself this weekend. I've had about three hours sleep just so I could, you know, pay a bill this month. It's just (laughs) such a scary time for anyone freelancing or on contract work um, across the board, really. Really horrible. Completing our lineup, though, the non horrible Dan Sachiri. How are you, Dan? I'm not too bad as well as I can be, really. Good. I'm good. still still in the denial stage, I think, at the moment. Uh, like yeah. I'm still popping out of the house when I can. Uh, I'm not battening down the hatches just yet. Good. There's an argument for that, I think. Yeah. It does seem like there was that Thursday night last week when it all started to become inevitable that English football would be postponed. Um, it was the news when Arteta had tested positive, Matt, where it, where it really started to feel like, OK, this is this is not going to happen. We're, we're going to lose the Premier League for a while here. Yeah, I mean, it was always the case, talking to people... I remember being at Chelsea two weeks or so ago and um, managing to have a chat with someone quite high up there who basically said, as soon as a player or a manager or anything like that gets it, then it's it's pretty much game over in terms of Premier League going ahead. And, and that's what I always felt they'd wait for, um, either that or the government kind of shutting down public gatherings. So, yeah, as soon as Arteta got it, there was, there was no question that that was that. Yeah, they're saying April 4th to resume, Mina, but... I think it's fair to say no one is really expecting football on the weekend of April the 4th. Well, no, not especially when you know that like all the 
certain countries have gone into complete lockdown and everyone's telling us that we're about sort of 10 to 14 weeks away from when it's supposed to be at its peak. So then you just imagine like it's not going to restart early, just stop again and then the whole country goes on lockdown. So it's interesting that for you it was when Arteta fell ill because when Rugani fell ill, fell ill for Juventus and everyone went into quarantine, it was like, that's Champions League out because if you're not going to play in the Champions League. And then I was like thinking Real Madrid went the mm. other day and I thought as soon as European competition is over, I just feel like every league has got to follow suit, right? Mm. What are we expecting to happen next, do you think, with the Premier League? It seems like we agree April 4th is pretty unlikely. Are they just going to keep kicking the can down the road and saying, actually, we're going to extend that? Or at some point, are they going to say either, right, we're coming back on this date with behind closed doors games, perhaps, or just call it all off at some point? It's, it's impossible to know. That I mean, the meeting on Thursday is all, all going to be towards this. They might not who's come the, to any... Who's the meeting on Thursday? Is that Premier League? So the meeting League? is, is Premier possible. League, yeah. Um, I think... And they decide until, obviously, what UEFA say on Tuesday, right? Well, they, they they purposefully have put it after UEFA mm-hmm. in the hope that obviously Euro 2020 gets postponed and they will have some some clear indication from that side. They, You know, you could even have a scenario where FIFA come in and say, well, we're going to take control of this and we're saying all football is banned till such and such a date. I don't think we'll know anything for sure on Thursday. Um, but I would hope personally they don't just keep pausing, pausing, pausing. If they get to a stage where... It's fairly obvious that if they keep going month by month, it's going to keep having to get knocked on. Then I really think they should get their heads together and come up with a date way down in the future to possibly restart or have to look at alternatives. Nobody wants three weeks, three weeks, three weeks, three weeks. But the situation is so fluid. So what do you? What would you tell them? Okay, we're going to restart May fifteenth. What? I, I I would say go later. Go later. Go go with the government projections, and if it's that late, talk about restarting in August. But then there's all these contracts that need to be decided. You can get around that. The contracts are easy to get around. I was talking to a chief executive about that yesterday. The contracts, the all the stakeholders and authorities, basically hold both ends of the strings on the contracts. They can sort out uh, temporary contracts. They can sort out provisions on the contracts. It is a consideration, and it is a, a chaotic situation. But that part is far easier to sort out than anything else. Yeah, we'll return to that subject of contracts a bit later, but I just wonder what would happen, Dan, if we feel like the outcome might be that the season is just cancelled, which does seem to be increasingly a possibility now. How would that work? What's the best way of doing it? Because I I think everyone is united that Liverpool would get the trophy. That seems without controversy. Uh, Relegation and promotion seems like the really tricky thing to me. What what would you say is the best way of uh, sorting that out if it does come to that? Well, I think the most plausible suggestion I've heard is that the top two in the championship come up, Leeds and West Brom. There's a 22-team Premier League season and then possibly five go down and three come up and you re- reset to 20 teams after that. Whether Liverpool officially get the title if the season's called off you know, after 29 games when it's not mathematically done, I'm not too sure. That idea has started to get traction. Uh, that, that, that was first floated to me on Friday morning last week um, and... It seemed like a good idea, but I kind of thought, mm, I don't know whether this is going to get much support. But gradually, gradually, people are starting to say, well, if the choice is actually between gets to the stage of having to actually fully cancel and no one gets anything, or you give Liverpool the title and the top two in every division get to go up and you have an expanded, basically expanded divisions all the way through for one season, and then you have to sort of readjust, that's... A lot of people prefer that than completely voiding the season. I think most people agree 
it would be unfair to just have the points tallies now and relegate clubs as you were. I think that would be... You could just see that ending up in the courts, right? Yeah. There's, there's no way you could enforce that. And also that not all the clubs have played the same number of games up. and exactly. things. But this is the thing, like, is this an English solution or is this a European solution? Because if we are to, to mimic this response in, say, Spain and we just award the title right now to Barcelona, it's completely unfair. Yeah, it would be so, up to the associations, so wouldn't it? Liverpool are in a particularly odd position for this point in the year. Yeah, so far usually... I mean, it's not odd in France, is it? Like, it's probably <laughs> yeah. a similar thing with PSG, but we all stop paying attention to that. I think, I think if you're in a league... This is the thing, I don't know whether you're trying to find a, a united solution for everyone in Europe yeah. or whether we are just going to do it by every league being able to pick and choose how they would like to settle um, what happens. I almost think you've got to go case by case because like you say... It's so different, you know. Liverpool are so far ahead that that very few people are going to argue with them the title. Yeah, if like Juventus in, winning it with Lazio one point behind yeah, would you can't destroy do that. everything. You have to, yeah. you would have to work towards in those leagues some sort of playoff when you can, because at least that you can probably settle it within one match or something like that. And, and I don't know European qualification as well. I mean, how do you sort that? So the if, European if qualification, are... someone came up with a good idea that I thought to, to me, and, and again, I'm only talking Premier League now. Mm-hmm. Um, so apologies, it doesn't take in everything. But the idea someone came up with me was that everybody who qualified for last season's Champions League would go back into the Champions <laughs> League. Hang on, hang on. And then a Leicester City, for instance, who are a third, and maybe some of the others below the top four, you would have to have an expanded qualification process then for the, the Champions League. So the, the pre-tournament qualification that they already have to a degree, you would have to expand that to involve clubs who have an argument that they would have got into next season's Champions League. That, again, is logistically very difficult, but it seems like a sensible suggestion when you've got no actual way of doing it fairly. I don't, I don't know. I, I just... Firstly, Manchester City, we don't know what's going to happen with their European commitments. <laughs> so I, I don't know what happens on that level. I do like the idea of doing a playoff just for European places, just to decide who finishes in those places. I guess if you're going to do, if you want to hand Liverpool the title and already say they're already through, then that's fine. But then for the other three, I think it's wholly unfair because there's some it's so tight at that top. I think the problem with that, as with so much of this, is about scheduling yeah. and, and where that all fits in. And as you say, it's such a movable situation at the moment with everything changing and talk of when it's going to peak and what's going to happen and what's best for the players and the public. That it's so hard to say, all right, you know, in June we're going to do that playoff because who knows where we're at in June. But something that is quite central to all of this is what happens with Euro 2020 and there's a meeting of UEFA on Tuesday where we should learn more about that. Um, postponement seems likely, Dan. Uh, Mike McGrath reported... Uh, over the weekend for us that uh, December is under consideration for postponement. But for me, given that there's no host this time and that no one is particularly exposed, there's no big infrastructure project happening in one country, just cancel it, surely? Yeah, I think it should be very low down the list of priorities, really, for uh, the authorities. Because the thing with international tournaments, fun as they are, is that they're kind of glorified exhibitions, really, and they're discrete events in their own right. Like they don't really lead to anything and nothing really leads into them. It's not like the domestic season where there's consequences for promotion, relegation, etc. So it doesn't really matter when you have the European Championships, whether it's 2021, 2022, 2023, it can be, it can be whenever. Obviously, there's going to be a commercial hit, particularly for England, 
with a you know final and a semi final at Wembley. And I think that the eight nations idea, I think that's going to have to go on the head. It's going to have to be in one country. I'd have thought. Yeah, when it seems, does come around. Seems possible. What, if, if it's next year or this year, probably whenever. I think. I think that it's, it seems fanciful to be honest that they're going to be eight nations who can guarantee the health of of everyone. Yeah, uh, it just seems to me the priority should be to free up time and get those domestic seasons sorted, as you say, Dan, because there's such a domino effect with them. There's lots of proposals about MENA, about how to rearrange everything, how the rescheduling could work. Have you seen any of those solutions where you thought that one makes sense? I like that one more than others. In terms of what, just the leagues? Or yeah, your... like when when the calendar happens. I mean, you know, some people are talking about possibly the Euros being in December because uh, or, or January, I think yeah, it was, when, really... when AFCON is at the same time because players will be abroad for that anyway and, and when kind of condensed bits of seasons could take place. This is the thing, like it's really hard because it's also about, um, you know, when we talk about promotion and relegation, it, it, there is a lot of money and in some nations, Euro, the Euros are really important and no one wants to not be there or, or watch that or not have it or have it cancelled for the sake of, you know, I, I don't really care about watching Burnley versus Leicester or I could watch, you know, like nations taking each other on. But that's just for me, like that's a particular thing to me. I know there's a lot of money. Uh, La Liga would, would stand to lose 700 million if it doesn't end. Serie A is about the same figure as well. So I think the priority needs to be to finish that. But I do think it should be postponed Euros as opposed to cancel entirely I like the idea of having sort of two teams come up because it's highly unfair for those sides that have worked so hard in the championship or Serie B or whatever it is to not get promoted and maybe just do one game next season in the 22 teams in one season and just play one game rather than two yeah so that that way yeah uh, to me that seems the fairest at the moment rather than just sort of suspending everything and then that way I mean, the broadcasters, I guess, will be a little bit out of pocket. And if you are a nation such as Italy that relies entirely on broadcasting I I, I personally think if you can, if with um, coordinating with the government and and everybody else, if you can foresee a date this year where you can restart the league, even if we're talking October, I think they should try and finish the league and deal with the rest after that. Um, and adjust accordingly, even if it takes like two seasons of adjustment after that to get it back. I just think if you can finish the league this year and if you can get enough good advice that you'll be able to finish the league this year, you should try and do that. If it's a, if, if you, for, for the integrity of for the, the integrity of the competition. Um, and I just think that should be the priority. So I think they should give basically this calendar year to trying to finish the league. If If all the advice they get or if they can't get any sort of um, good steer on the fact that they would be able to actually finish it this year and there's there's the possibility that you say a date and it's going to get cancelled and it spills into next year at that point I think maybe you say we have to knock the season on the head and we have to decide then whether it's void or whether we do something like the 22 team or something um, I just really hope they can play it out Again, this is an English solution because I think there are certain countries like for example in Sevilla where it's 40 degrees mm. In August, where it's, it's almost impossible to finish the games, um, it, it has that has to be an English solution. Um, I'm not entirely sure it can be done for other countries. So again, I don't know whether there's going to be united front when it comes to I, European competition. I don't see why there needs to be. Um, in terms of domestic leads, I don't see why they need to be united at all. Mm. Um, the calendar of the European, yeah, well, yeah, I guess but then that's you have to. Then you have to adjust accordingly, and so whether they you you still play. 
you you might get a scenario where you still play out the Premier League and the Championship and League One, League Two, but you can't play out the Champions League, or you can't play out, or you can't restart the Champions League, or whatever. I still think the Premier League um, should attempt to finish the league, even if it means they can't finish. Taking England out of line with the so, rest of Europe is a very popular view. In some, <laughs> some parts so let's of this just room. say you go into September, right? If you want to finish the league, then mm. what happens about Champions League qualifications in the first round? Well, you 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 would end up falling in line eventually because whoever qualifies for Europe, obviously, if Europe can't restart, then it doesn't restart. And, and they all agree to suspend their leagues, except for England that wants to play on. What would happen then? <sighs> so you just play I on. I don't. Like... I don't see why the Premier League needs to stop for the other leagues. It's not about. I'm talking about Champions League. Yeah. So, for example, if the Champions League is to start as usual. And all of them know that. So the, the Champions League first round, like, you know, when it, when everything has been decided to use September, right? That's okay, when the first yeah, matches yeah, yeah. are in So that's stages. starting in September, but we haven't finished, but we're carrying on our Premier League. And we yeah, and say Argentina, Italy and Spain have decided to just go to with void. what they already have and void and that's cancel. A good point. So then what happens then? No idea. It's, it's just a nightmare, isn't it? As soon as you start thinking about it, you, you start to sympathise for the first time, really, with football administrators because it, it's just it's so difficult just, to get your head around. I can't see that there's any solution or any anything that happens from here whereby some people aren't going to be left feeling it was unfair. Yeah, yeah. There's no neat way to do and it. And even if even if they were to restart in two in six weeks, let's say it's not going to happen, but let's say they managed to restart in six weeks. There would still be clubs feeling that's unfair because there'll be clubs facing Tottenham Hotspur who all of a sudden all of Tottenham's players are fit again. <laughs> and they will they will complain, oh, we would have won that game otherwise. There's not from here, there's not a, a solution or a whereabouts where everyone just puts their hands up and say that's that's great. Listen, I think and you're would... just gonna have to accept that. We, we can follow sort of kind of what Italy said, which is sort of the last time we can really start this is May 3rd and finish it in June 30th. Um and then that way we just try to play every three days as much as we can, you know. Give up on the FA Cup or whatever it is. But with the projections, it's not going to start May 3rd, is it? Well, we don't... Yeah. The government, if you go so by fluid. the government projections, it's just not going to start May 3rd. Yeah, well, according to government predictions, you know, like President Trump thought it was only going to be five people, so we don't know. Strangely, the Qatar World Cup could actually be a positive uh, because it gives you, <laughs> yeah. it gives you the chance Extra. possibly to run a calendar league season, uh, which from where we are now is next season perhaps starting in, in January and finishing just before that World Cup starts, as you would before a summer World Cup. And then after the World Cup's done, which is December 2021, you could maybe then you know ease yourself back into, hopefully, the normal routine. But Mina's right. You can't play through the summer in Spain, can you, and places like that. Well, so Italy, it'll be difficult. Napoli, it would work in England. One of the things we keep coming back to is... There's financial reasons here. It's not just a case of postponing things and making it all work in a, on a calendar. The, there inevitably will be financial repercussions and that has to come into the thinking. Do any of you have faith that common sense will prevail here and that those financial interests will be slightly put to one side to enable things to get back to normal as far as possible? I think they will to a degree. I mean, I know Karen Brady got an awful lot of um, of criticism over the weekend, and I think a lot of people know that I'm no massive Karen Brady fan. Um, I think actually she, for instance, was just writing an opinion that's, that's sort of out there, and I do think that when they get round the tables, there will be some self-interest, but I think when they get round to actually voting and making decisions, it will generally be for the integrity of the game rather than um, the smallest of self-interests. And... As much as a financial disaster is for Premier League clubs to get relegated to the the championship, 
the real financial disasters are, are further down in, in League One and League Two, where just the pause, let alone what happens in terms of relegation and promotion, just the pause in play could put clubs under. They're losing two hundred to three hundred thousand pounds through gate receipts. They're not going to be selling season tickets at the same at the usual time of year, which is usually sort of May June, um, which a lot of them budget for, because obviously the delay and people won't be buying season tickets until they know what's going on. So that's where the real financial crashes are, are going to come. Yeah, we'll get onto that a little bit later. Uh, the impact this is going to have for clubs and businesses, especially beyond the Premier League. Um, uh, let's talk a little bit about players and managers now. Um, even two weeks off, if we were to resume on the 4th of April, is going to affect match fitness. The longer this goes on, Mina, the harder it's going to be to complete the season in a fair way, right? We're going to need a spell for the players to get back up to speed. Well, I guess it depends sort of on the country or club that you're working for or, or what's happening. Like, as in, for example, if I take the example of Inter in Italy, they are sending out specific meals to each player. This is what you eat for breakfast. This is what you're going to eat for, you know, this is your routine today of how you're working out. And so you might not be like super ready when everything kicks off again, but you're not going to be that that far away from it. Obviously, if you're a Real Madrid player, you probably have the house that has the full, full on gym and lots of people that will come and visit you and do whatever you are. It's probably not going to be the same for like a, a smaller side so it, it's going to be interesting to find out who's in the right fitness levels if Bournemouth can manage to do what Liverpool players can do but um, yeah it's, it's going to be weird it's like a preseason, right they, they will lobby depending on when we restart and if we restart so so this theory we, we have to like presume on an April 4th restart so Chelsea are in isolation at the moment. They don't go back to their training ground for about nine days, I think it is. Aston Villa, who they were due to play on the game that got called off, aren't in isolation. Mm. So if you were to restart with that game, for instance, Villa would have had three weeks of training, team training, not just in the gym and stuff, assuming no one in the meantime gets coronavirus. Chelsea would have had at best seven, six to seven days. Well, except for Mount. Well, that, that's, that's yeah, but he's, he's not team training. <laughs> but that Chelsea would have had six to seven days. So you will get Premier League clubs lobbying that when you have a restart, you have to restart from that position on a, on a fair footing. Yeah. You can't have clubs who have been in training for six weeks starting against a club that's been in training for one week. Well, that's why you should suspend training. Then, yeah, yeah, exactly. That would put it onto a level change. Then if everybody's suspended, then that again... And that might happen. That and could also happen to protect health. Like, let's be honest, yeah. because it's not fair for them to be attending training because they're not immune either. I think players maintain fitness, you know, fairly regularly and quite easily nowadays. You know, the first preseason friendly of the summer that you can watch now, they're all in fantastic shape and that. But there will definitely be, you know, rustiness. You know, if you, if you remember last season, there was that three week break between the season ending and the two European mm. finals, and I thought it had a terrible effect on both games. Although mm. it really the standard of the football that we were used to at the end of the season. So those games plummeted and I think people will be craving football so much they won't really care what yeah. the standards <laughs> like. But it will it will be uh it will take 
you know, another four to six weeks from football resuming for the, the level to get back to where it was. Yeah, I that's think. the thing players talk about a lot, isn't it? It's just about how they see the game and it's about getting your brain up to speed as much as anything else and it's that level of intensity. It's really but when you come back after summer, you're sort of like, oh man, I just had such a great holiday. I really don't want to have to start this all over again. But when you're coming back on this occasion, you're just going to be like, oh, I'm so glad I'm alive. Yeah. The world is beautiful that doesn't, again. That doesn't change what your brain is doing, though, does it? It's yeah, not going right. to make your kind of coordination any better. It's, it's just um, feeling, uh, feeling raring to go. It's an interesting debate on where the players are safest and and I'm certainly not qualified to know but saying that the, the the players aren't necessarily safe going into training I'm not sure because I was speaking to someone at Chelsea last week after they isolated and they said at the end of the day we can't police our players it's impossible to actually police our players all we can do is give them all the advice we can give them and remain in close contact with them in terms of in touch with them communication wise but we can't stop them going out of their houses. That's we can't different. stop them all going to their friends' restaurants. We can't stop them all That's, that's different. Out. That's them sort of breaking what is government protocol. Mm. For example, what we have an issue but is the clubs at the have moment, control of players if they have them at training. They have far greater control of players. They than shouldn't be having to grounds. go to training if they don't want to, is my point. Right. Like, as in, in Italy, what we're having a situation is that Lazio owner who owns another club called Salernitana, and he's trying to get his players to go into training. And Agnelli, who is Juventus owner... Mm has sort of accused him reportedly of being like, you're forcing your, your, your players into situations they may not want to be in mm. for the sake of your bottom line, by the sounds of it. And these players are, are having to go into situations that they may not want to. Like Mario Balotelli says, I have a mother who's very old that I see every single day and I'm not going to go to entertain you and to have training and then put her life at risk. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, Cobham training ground will be far cleaner than most places. They'll be deep cleaning it every single day. The players don't have to get public transport to go in there and they can be controlled in there. I would suspect that in time, that environment is probably safer than the environments that a lot of players will end up putting themselves in just through not really thinking and just through leaving their house and going and mixing with their friends like most young people will. Yeah, it's a fair point. Let's just return to something we did touch on earlier, uh, and this is a question from Aaron on social media who says, if the season doesn't resume by June, what happens to existing contracts and the transfer window? Is there any possibility of players playing for more than two clubs in a season? You said, Matt, that you'd heard that this wasn't a difficult thing to fix the contract expiring situation. Yeah, I mean, I know I spoke to one agent who's already inquired whether on July the 1st his player would be able to sign for another club. Um, they can't because you have to have, your contract has to have ended um, before the end of the previous transfer window to be allowed to do that. So you, you're not going to get a situation, first of all, where players can expire on June the 30th and actually join another club and play some of the season at another club. Secondly, it's very easy to arrange these temporary contracts. Um, and that's what will have to happen. They will have to arrange. But that's at the top level. And while you can arrange temporary contracts below that, the actual biggest problem in terms of the contracts is... League One and League Two players who don't earn an awful, awful lot of money um, and do require their wages to pay mortgages and bills and things, clubs who have suffered a shortfall in the paused season may actually take the opportunity to save some money when it comes to June 30th and not, not give players temporary contracts as a way of saving money and as a way of keeping themselves going. So you've got an awful lot of players at a certain level of football terrified about their futures and livelihoods through that. In terms of the top end, I mean, Chelsea have got four players out of contract on June 30th. Pedro, Willian, Willy Caballero, Olivier Giroud. They will, even though, for instance, Caballero, they could probably get by without playing him again for the rest of the season. 
they will definitely put all of them on, on, on temporary contracts. Watford's both goalkeepers expire on June 30th. Newcastle has 11. Norwich has one. Like right. These are the type of players that, yeah. like, situations... I mean, that... Watford, if you if you took it to the nth degree and said, oh, well, everyone on June 30th can't carry on playing for their clubs, or well, Watford wouldn't have a goalkeeper mm. because Ben Foster and Jorge Gomez both run out of contract. So, again, for the integrity of the competition they will come to some sort of arrangement whereby you either have a weekly contract or a monthly contract. But again, it doesn't help. Uh, even at the top end, that will affect players because if you're William or someone and you're now thinking about Moving agreeing, a yeah, yeah, and at the moment he can, in theory, agree to move to a, a Juventus or whoever um, on a pre-contract agreement, that isn't going to happen at the moment. So their futures, whereby their livelihoods aren't at any risk because they earn, they've earned so much money and there's not a financial problem, their actual football futures become very uncertain. And it does, to some degree, put the power back in the hands of the clubs a little bit. Yeah, return to the pre-Bosman days, perhaps. Hello. Sorry to interrupt your podcast. I just wanted to take a quick moment to tell you about another programme from The Telegraph. I'm Ben Riley-Smith, the Daily Telegraph's US editor, and I've spent the last year exploring the scandal over links between Donald Trump and Russia for my new podcast, Crossfire. What I found was an extraordinary untold story that kept coming back to Britain. The big gorilla in the room was, would Trump want to meet Putin? Would Putin then meet Trump? And he said, uh, and in any case, the Russians might use some material that they have on the This is dangerous. This is really dangerous. I've been tracking down those directly involved, from Washington to Cambridge to Belgravia, to try and find out what really happened and what it can tell us about this year's election. So we're looking at the backdrop of Russia. We're looking at what they might be trying to do for our elections. Over six episodes, I will unpack it all, chunk by chunk, through the voices of those with direct knowledge. Most people didn't even want to talk to me. I'm a guy getting death threats. I'm a guy whose life has been totally turned upside down. I will tell you this, whoever it was, I hope they get punished for it. That's in Crossfire, available now wherever you downloaded this podcast. Let's talk a little bit about the business impact of this, Dan. Uh, this is a disaster for most clubs outside the Premier League. I mean, especially as you go down the leagues and look at those clubs who rely a lot more on ticket revenue. It seems to me they're going to need some help at some point, whether that's government, FA, or perhaps some of the Premier League clubs helping out to, to ensure that uh, things are, are all right uh, to make up that shortfall, or we're going to see smaller teams going out of business. Yeah, I think it is going to fall on the bigger Premier League clubs, possibly or the Premier League itself, to arrange some kind of pot, central pot, that then gets redistributed. Um, I wouldn't hold uh, great hope for governments bailing out League One and League Two football clubs, because if they do that, you know, I think they're going to have other things on their plate, really. And you, you end up, they could have to bail out every bar, pub, restaurant in the country. Well, they're, so. they're going to have to do a lot of that anyway, and the government yeah. really shouldn't have to, because I think the government can probably turn around and say there's enough money in football for you to sort well, yourselves out. it's true, right? I yeah, mean, there's better things that we can spend this money on, sorry. Um, I wouldn't be comfortable with the government putting over a load of money for football when yeah. there's other people with far greater need um, in terms of their businesses, and who don't have something within the spectre where, you know, you've got the Premier League that's got millions and billions of pounds. I mean, one one idea is, again, um, just taking it back to this idea of the, the 22 teams and the, the no relegation for a year. 
if you did that, you haven't got to pay pe- parachute payments from the Premier League for a year. So that's a load of money all of a sudden that, that could be freed up. Um, the broadcasting money, Sky, I think Sam Wallace has written today that Sky and BT aren't going to be offering refunds on, on subscriptions and things. Maybe from from here on in, that, that broadcasting money that comes in from now on, that could be put aside for well, League One. The there are I, ways to do it. It's just whether there's a will. And there's got to be. There's got to be. It'll yeah, be absolutely outrageous if the Premier League If the don't. season doesn't finish, then effectively you are in breach of contract with the Premier League for the games that, you know, because what Sky has, what, 400 million worth of games left to show. Um, and if they're not showing that and they've paid all this money, what, on average 10, 11 million per game, they're going to, there's insurance that will cover some of that. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, they are in breach of contract, basically, and that w- that's the big worry of all these things. If they do get their money and the, the commercial, re- you know, Sky and BT have a full, all their money and, and they're happy with what they can get, then they might be able to offer refunds um, or something of goodwill. It doesn't sound like they're going to offer any refunds. I think that if they get their money, but I mean, if they're, they're going to be out quite a lot of money after what they've paid and they didn't have even a full season mm. and then to offer refunds. Usually exposed, I would imagine. Sky, yeah. and, Sky and BT, by this, lots of people will be cancelling. Um, but it seems to me the sympathy should be more towards those sorts of small businesses around football clubs that are going to uh, really suffer. Yeah, um, All sorts of businesses that will supply clubs and supply stadiums that, that are going to be really in trouble. Um, it, it goes so deep, this problem, doesn't it? Um, I want to talk a bit about just the profound weirdness of all of this. And uh, this weekend, first one without football, first one for a while, you would expect without football. How was it for you? How was your weekend without anything to watch or go to? What, what did you do that you didn't do, wouldn't do usually? Not too much, to be honest. I was working from home and, and it's only one weekend, which we do every international break anyway, don't we? So I think it might really hit home uh, next weekend. I'm very interested, actually, when football does return, whether people are going to rush back with a you know voracious appetite to watch football, uh, as happened at you know the end of the Second World War. There was a huge increase in uh, spectator attendances across all various sports, even Dog racing used to attract <laughs> 50, 60,000 people in the 10 years after the war. Or whether some people, as you say, and you hinted when you said about cancelling TV subscriptions, whether there's a maybe a certain demographic of fan who realises that actually I can live without this um, and there might be one game or two a month I want to watch and I'll go to the pub and watch that, but I'm not going to pay for the all the games on BT and Sky. Yeah, it's yeah, a really it's interesting, interesting point. You could absolutely imagine there will be that rush to go out and be in big crowds for people that really like that thing. And <laughs> I'd, just, I'd be very disappointed be if there are any empty seats at any of those games when it does come back, mm. Um, mm. whether that's next year or whenever. Yeah. I mean, everyone's got to be a grown-up about this, but I think one of the things we all like about football is it kind of makes children of all of us. And um, in that light, I do feel sorry for teams who are on the brink of something and now there's uh, that possibility that it's just not going to happen. I mean, Liverpool's the obvious one, but there's so many teams. Sheffield United, Leeds, looking like they're going to get promoted. Coventry in League One, Swindon, even Barrow, who look like they're going to get into the league for the first time. Um, All of them potentially going to have their moment of glory delayed or snatched away. It's a tricky thing to navigate, Matt. I feel really bad for them, but at the same time, you've got to just say, well, you know, I genu- everyone's suffering. I genuinely think if you voided the season, it could create civil unrest. There are parts of the country where that could happen. Yeah. I agree with you. I mean, when, when you talk about Liverpool, Leeds, th- these are big places with people vested so much emotion into. I genuinely, genuinely think just telling them it's all off, sorry, it could create civil unrest and you could create yourself a new problem. Um 
Isn't that just like, just doesn't that tell you something about society? Very much so, but that has to come into the thinking, doesn't it? I think a lot of the decisions we're being, you know, that have been taken, we can't be as draconian as they were in China. That's not what people are used to here. And if you try to do that straight away, you've then got another problem. But maybe we should work towards not perhaps being like China in that sense, but like maybe uh, towards a society where, you know, like, we're talking about all these measures, but look what the NBA players have done. Look what um, the Atalanta players who had to play behind closed doors and couldn't travel to Valencia. Bergamo was not that rich. And for all these players to pool together over 100,000 between the fans and everyone else to and the ultra groups to donate, shouldn't society be more about trying to save your people rather than, oh my God, I won't get to see Swindon win? You know, like, I don't know. It's, 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 there comes ideally, a point where yes, the capitalist regime... In reality... People still, people are still going to find it hard to let go of that kind of thing. That's their get out. That's their release. That's their something away from sort of reality, as it were. I think you can definitely have a person who, on a social level, is very concerned about what's happening and, and probably willing to do whatever it is to help and take all the measures and everything. Who can also be absolutely furious and go mad if their team don't get awarded the title to the top league. I don't think the two things are mutually exclusive. I just think that's people. Yeah, what you say about investment, I think, is true. There are so many people who go to football in quite a church-like way. There are communities. But this is what if we made their reality nicer, where they didn't need to escape? That, well, point. that's that's true. But then I would say my reality is largely delightful and very comfortable. <laughs> I'm really going to miss not going to QPR every other week and seeing the people I always see. And and yeah, uh, you know, yeah I'm see extremely that. privileged in that. Like, mm. it's not a huge that I've got other stuff I can go yeah, and do. Frankly. Yeah. Not everyone's that lucky. And there's going to be a mental health aspect to this as well, right? Yeah, I mean, there are there are people who will... This sounds ridiculous now. But I, when you talk about people becoming vulnerable and isolated in parts of society at the moment, having no sport or no football will increase some people's isolation and vulnerability because, unfortunately for them, they don't have other stuff. Not everyone has lots of family. Not everyone has lots of interests. Not everyone has a job they enjoy. Lots of people's lives, not just football, revolve around sport and either taking an active part in it or going to watch it. And take that, that being taken away from them actually will leave them with mental health issues. It will. This, now that we have three months, can't we figure out a way where life can you can't, be... You can't say that, Mina, because you, I'm talking about someone who is basically either at football or at sport or is on their own in a flat and they don't have friends or family, or they don't have a job they enjoy. They literally live for that. And I don't think you can just say, oh, isn't this the time for them to grow up a bit? Because life, not about life, that. No, no, no. no, no. no That's being people, condescending by me saying that. I'm sorry, yeah. But but let, let's be honest, okay? Like, as in, we are in a privileged situation. We don't have war bombs coming down, all the, and we're cancelling this because of, uh, you know, it is a pandemic, but it's not about, oh, grow up, yeah? But at the same time, perhaps we can ease people's lives or find ways in which we can make our community fight Oh, for sure. Yeah, better. yeah, yeah. No, and I'm not sure. saying as in, oh, my God, you know, you should have more in your life than watching a football match. My job relies on this entirely. Mm. I'm not going to get paid for the next three months. I don't have a contract. But what I mean to say is to make communities wider, like now when you're seeing the elderly and people stockpiling and thinking it's really funny to go on and see how many toilet rolls they have. Maybe we can find a way of opening an hour earlier so that our elderly can go and shop. Maybe we can have a way of actually hanging out with them because, you know... I that, definitely think that. I that's definitely. what I mean, finding ways in which their lives can be better but so that lots, if there isn't any football, they're not depressed. But lots of people will get involved in that and then still be furious if their team 
gets <laughs> gets relegated. Yeah, yeah and the this year, and, and I then think maybe that's the okay. next time. I hope... also think that's okay. The social distancing will become intolerable, won't it? After a certain number of weeks, I mean, it's a, a short-term solution to, as they say, flatten the curve on the you know the exponential spread of the disease. But it's not a long-term solution. At some point, there's going to either be a backlash to it, or there's going to be an acceptance of risk, basically, that there is a certain risk, but people are going to have to make their own choice whether they you know, expose themselves yeah. to it or not. Yeah, even loners need some company sometimes. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, Europe, MENA, uh, Champions and Europa League postponed. Um, talk us through the potential plans for slimming them down uh, and how the semis and final would work. Well, this is all based on what, like, AS is reporting, um, Corriere della Sera is reporting, which is that if we are to say, you know, like, um, postpone everything, um, there are reports that you'll have a final four format with the semifinals and final of each competition being played in a single city over a four-day period, which is probably going to be like, you know, Turkey or Gdansk, um, who are hosting the Champions League and Europa League finals. So what they'll do is try to end the the final round of 16, play the quarterfinals, but perhaps in a neutral venue and just a one match rather than the, you know, home and, and away leg. And then just do this sort of mini tournament of incredible football over like a four day period in which the semifinals and the finals are played out in a neutral venue again. And uh, best man wins. Yeah, I mean, there's there's just cases everywhere around Europe now. Um, five at Valencia, two at Fiorentina. Uh, no one it's is more than that now. Yeah, no one is unaffected by this across the continent. No, uh, we've got what you've got. I think um, so. Valencia have five, but that's between staff and players. Uh, so Juventus have one, 121, including staff members. Agnelli uh, went into quarantine. Um, it's three people at Fiorentina: Vlahovic, Cutrone, and uh, Pezzella. Sampdoria have been the hardest hit. Uh, I think it's roughly six or seven now. Paderborn's defender, Luca Killian, now uh, was the first case in Germany. I believe at the top level, I know that they had something in the in the second level. Um, you've got other things that are coming out of this, which is, like I said, like the legal fight between uh, Claudio Lotito and others um, who, who want their players to go back into training. Italy's legendary architect died from coronavirus, but he was 92 years old. He designed um, uh, the stadium in Genoa. Um, it's it's really tough at the moment. And then you obviously read, you know, Callum hudson Adoy, Mikel Arteta. You hope this is where it ends. All I thought is, well, I remember when Daniele Rugani came out at Juventus and I just thought to myself, wait, hold on a second. Ronaldo played in that match with Rugani. There's a photo of them together. And then he's gone to visit his mom, who's just suffered like, you know, this huge health issue. And what if he's carrying this virus, you know? And you, you just wonder, like, these are the, the things that can happen. Yep. Yep. But it's he's in quarantine and hopefully so far looks all right. Undeniably frightening times. Uh, we normally like to end with a lighthearted question, uh, but instead we uh, threw this to our friends on social media and asked if they had any questions for the panel. Uh, and this one from Adam Bateman, uh, which none of you have seen, so I'm going to spring it up on you slightly, so think on your feet. <laughs> but Adam Bateman says, if we have seen in previous times when the going financially gets tough for certain clubs, will any of these clubs start by axing their women's teams or will they look at other ways to save money? Wow, that's a, a question I didn't expect to get. I thought that really isn't. Yeah. Um, I I I would certainly suspect at the uh, at the top end, there's no question of them thinking about saving money by axing their women's teams. And 
look, this doesn't reflect well on me. I don't particularly know whether League One and League Two clubs have women's teams, um, especially ones that they actually have to fund themselves. Usually at some level, but obviously... I'm not sure they, they fund them themselves no, all the time. No. Um, they might be getting sort of hand-me-down kits from the men's from two years ago, things like that. But the, the women's away. game... Um, the women's game is an interesting one because uh, that's going to have to now... I mean, it's propped up by the men's game financially to a certain extent anyway because obviously a lot of the, the women's teams are affiliated to the men's teams, but they will undoubtedly suffer as well and, and because they are operating at a level whereby they do rely on gate receipts um, rather than TV broadcasting money um, and, and the, the business around it more rather than the, the broadcasters so much. I would imagine that it will will have an, a quite a big effect on the women's game. This is a slight tangent, but the women's game does uh, provide a bit of an example, actually, because a couple of years ago they switched from being a summer league to a winter league, and they came up with this thing called the Spring Series, which was like a one-off bridging uh, tournament that linked the two things. So that might, that could be an example um, for the men's game to follow as they try and come up with solutions. Isn't you know, so? If Euro twenty twenty becomes Euro twenty twenty one, what happens to the women's? I think, as with a lot of these solutions, can you play them at the same there's time? There's a light at the end of the tunnel because it's going to mm. mean loads of really good football and crammed into a tiny one, amount of time. One so. day, one day we'll go back to having those like really fun Wednesday nights. Yeah, where you watch. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, for me, Champions League is like oh, I cannot imagine. We my need life Wednesday lunch it. times if everyone's oh. sat at home. And <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. Those are the sunlit uplands here. We're all going to have a lot of football at some point in the future. I do. I, they, do they do say the weather makes a difference. So maybe if it's really hot, that you know, like this could just. I do wonder whether um, moving forward, this could be the prelude to. All the debate in terms of FA Cup replays, all the debate on the people who want to scrap the EFL Cup, it could sort some of that out because for a season, just to just to get readjusted, you might have to look at suspending the EFL Cup for yeah. a year. Then it might never come back, to be honest with you. And you might have to say immediately, well, we're definitely going to get rid of FA Cup replays. Well, actually, in Italy, they were saying, like, you know, should we really be having 20 teams at the top tier? Yeah. Because, you know, like, the fact that one postponed game is so hard to reschedule, mm-hmm. like, should we not maybe go down to 18 teams? And that way, like, there's just a little bit of, of something, you know, like, yeah, and the players can sort of rest a little bit more. Um, and you don't have these situations like Klopp, who has to play 15 different tournaments and then send out different sides, you know? Yeah, it might naturally settle some of those sort of debates that no one's been brave enough to kind of just put their foot down on before. Yeah, could be could be good news in that respect, but very bad news for podcasts. What are we going to talk about? Oh, are we, well, are we, we always have something to talk about. Are we having a podcast after this one? Come on, Matt, stay happy. No, stay I mean, are we? Yeah, in some form. Have we? In some form. We'll be with well, look, I mean, look, we can always have something to argue about. We can start <laughs> doing stuff like throwbacks. <laughs> yeah, we, we can just put do. you and JJ in a room and put a picture of Pep Guardiola in the middle and, and, have, be like, and record yeah. it for an hour. Oh. Open it out. Open it out to the listeners. Great question. You tell us what you want. AFC Podcast at telegraph.co.uk. That's all for this week's pod. We'll be back with you in some form next week. I meant what I said earlier. We will take advice from you. We are now taking requests on this podcast. What do you want from us? What can we be giving you in these deeply weird times? Please send us an email with your thoughts. AFCpodcast at telegraph.co.uk is the address. We'll read out the best of what you send us. You can contact me on Twitter if you'd like to. It's at Tom with an H Gibbs. Don't forget to subscribe to Audio Football Club. Just look for those words wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Elliot Lampett on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. Hold up. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 